Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who brings us comfort. In the name of Jesus, amen. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. You may be seated. As Jesus ascends into heaven, he shows us exactly what sort of kingdom he's establishing within his church. There in heaven, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, Jesus is seated on his heavenly throne. And from there, he rules and extends his kingdom to the ends of the earth. And even as it's extending throughout the world, we know that the kingdom of Christ is not like the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world are devoted to earthly dominions over earthly subjects to achieve earthly gains. What does every politician promise us? A, a better economy, better public safety, better education, better government programs, better government schools. The list goes on and on and on, right? As we enter into another season of elections in our country, we kind of get sick of hearing all of these promises. Uh, these are the components of every earthly kingdom. They're the carnal kingdoms of this world because they represent the carnal needs of society. But Jesus' kingdom is the kingdom of the gospel. He sits at the Father's right hand in heavenly glory for the sake of the gospel. God's kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, is extended when the gospel is preached. It is strength, and its strength is based on nothing other than the gospel message and promise of the forgiveness of sins in Christ. That is the kingdom of Christ. Wherever the gospel is preached, there is the kingdom. Wherever people hear and believe in this word of God, there is the kingdom. And that's why Jesus does not answer the disciples' question when they ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, their hearts, they were set on an earthly kingdom, an earthly Israel. And now that Jesus had risen from the dead, it made sense that Jesus would walk into Israel, walk into Jerusalem, stand before all those men who had him put to death, shame them for their spiritual ignorance of his lordship, depose the corrupt leaders in the temple. For the Herodians, he would cause them to bow before him, and he'd drive the Roman garrison out of Jerusalem. He would take up David's throne and as David's Lord, and he would have the apostles, of course, be his noble lords. As he made all of his enemies his footstool, the twelve apostles would be princes in the household of Israel. They would be honorable and faithful, of course. They would rule under Christ. They would execute his judgments. But they would be little lords themselves, nonetheless. This is what they are asking, but this is not what Jesus is giving. This is not the sort of kingdom Jesus is establishing. Jesus does not establish an earthly kingdom. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And he's not speaking metaphorically here. His kingdom is not of this world. It does not consist of those things that worldly kingdoms consist of. It's rather the kingdom of grace in which the king rules from heaven to forgive those sinners who are made part of his kingdom through the preaching of the gospel. 
And that is why Jesus tells his disciples before his ascension, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. What is he telling his disciples to do? Preach the gospel to the entire creation so that those who hear it may have faith in the forgiveness of sins and be saved. That they might be baptized into this saving grace, into the saving work of Jesus, so that they are sealed in the promises of the gospel. That is why in Acts, when they ask Jesus if he will at this time restore the kingdom of Israel, Jesus does not answer that question. Rather, he says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority, but you will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Once again, the kingdom of Christ is the kingdom of grace, where the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. What does he tell his disciples to do? What does he promise his disciples will come? He says, I will send my Holy Spirit so that you can proclaim my kingdom. That is what the Christian church should be continually preoccupied with, the gospel of Christ. And that is why we call men to be preachers of the gospel. That is why we establish congregations. That is why we hold public worship services. That is why we have schools so that our children can be instructed in the gospel. And this should be what is on our lips as we gather with our families. This is what we are called to talk about with our spouses and our children and our parents and our friends. It's the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has died for our sins and has been risen for our justification. He has saved us from eternal death and hell. He has opened his kingdom of grace to all believers. Whenever the gospel of Christ is preached purely, there the Holy Spirit is at work. That's where the kingdom of God is. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. Our small catechism explains that little petition in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. He says, The kingdom of God comes when our Heavenly Father sends His Holy Spirit, so that by His grace we believe His Holy Word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. And so we see that the kingdom of Christ is not a carnal kingdom that is concerned with economies and borders and public safety and supply chains and the consolidation of power. Rather, it's all about the grace of God being proclaimed to poor sinners. So many Christians have been duped. They've been fooled to believe that the kingdom of Christ is like an earthly kingdom. They've been fooled to believe that Jesus will establish an earthly kingdom. They'll say before Judgment Day that Jesus will come to Jerusalem, he'll set up a throne in Jerusalem, and he'll rule in an earthly kingdom for a thousand years. This blows from a misunderstanding of the book of Revelation and a misunderstanding of the gospel. The gospel of forgiveness of sins is the entire point of the Bible. It's the entire point of Christ coming to earth. He does not come to do what his disciples suppose of him. He's not going to consolidate earthly power and land himself on an earthly throne. Rather, he sends his Holy Spirit to call people to believe in him. The thousand-year reign of Christ is now. It's not some distant reality. It's not like Jesus is not ruling over all of the creation today. He is. He's ruling in grace for the sake of the gospel. 
When the gospel is proclaimed, there's the kingdom. When faithful pastors preach the word, there is the kingdom. When baptized believers console and encourage one another with the forgiveness of sins, there is the kingdom of God. When mothers read the Bible to their children, there's the kingdom. In classrooms, living rooms, sanctuaries, nurseries, hospital rooms, battlefields, and marriage beds, when the word of the gospel is expressed and spoken, that is where the kingdom is. Whenever baptized believers are gathered to be instructed, consoled, warned, trained in the word of God, comforted by the gospel, that's the kingdom. The kingdom of Christ has nothing to do with Middle Eastern politics. It has everything to do with the purely taught word of God. But we see that many Christians have forgotten this. As they consider the church to be like every other earthly institution, and it's expected when earthly institutions cave to the sinful, uh, it's expected that they will cave to the sinful impulses of the world around us. And so we think about what we read in the news today when Disney and Netflix decide that they want to make content that's focused on the sensual and perverse desires of the flesh. Well, that's just the world doing what the world does. Or when Coca-Cola decides that it wants to donate a portion of its profits to Planned Parenthood, that's evil because the world is evil. And that's a worldly institution. But what's really sad is when the church begins to adopt the evil priorities of the world. The reason these businesses capitulate to the evils of the world is that they need the world's approval to prosper. But the church is not a business. Businesses are worried about image and profit. We do not depend on the powers of this world to grant us what we need. We do not depend on public approval for the church to prosper and to exist. We do not need to seek the approval of the world by touting worldly righteousness. Worldly institutions should stand in fear of what the church proclaims. Worldly institutions instead stand in fear of provoking the displeasure of those who are easily offended. And this is why we see every brand and business constantly trying to appease the ever-shifting whims and the ever-shifting outrages of the world around them. Yet we know that the kingdom of faith is already an offense to the world. It denies the world. The kingdom of God in grace denies the world its pursuit of pleasure by saying that it's all vain and sinful. Look what the world loves. What of the world's love is not pure vanity in the grand scheme of salvation? Think about wealth, or think about the pleasures of the flesh, or think about whatever new hip topics of social justice everyone wants us to get worked up over about. Or think about all those things that are passing away as this world is passing away. All the things that the world pursues are vain. They're going away. They do not last forever. But the kingdom that Jesus establishes is the eternal kingdom. The word that Christ sends through his Holy Spirit is the eternal word that will endure forever. And so as we live in this world, we are not members of this world. We are not of this world. But we belong to the kingdom of Christ. That's why it's so profoundly sad when churches do, out of fear of losing man's approval, behave like human organizations. 
So many churches have severed themselves from the heavenly reign of Christ in favor of earthly benefits. This can be seen uh, even this last week in the ELCA and other liberal churches that the presiding bishop of the ELCA recently put out a statement criticizing the Supreme Court for denying women the right to kill their unborn babies. How sad. How terrible for a representative of the church to stand in defense of the murder of the unborn. Yet we in the LCMS, we're not much better. We can't be high and mighty about that. We have colleges and universities, seminaries and day schools that desire so much of the world's acceptance that they have forgotten that they were founded to serve the kingdom of Christ by raising up faithful servants of the gospel. So often we see that our colleges, our universities, even our schools adopt the language and priorities of the world. They hire unbelievers to be teachers, and they gladly take money from the government, and they adopt government programming in their classrooms. And instead of preaching the gospel that is to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, that gospel that is to be preached to all nations, they adopt the language of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when faithful men speak up what happens to them, even in the LCMS, they get fired. We must note that this is a symptom of the church being desperate for the world's acceptance. But we do not need it. What is the world? Do we belong to the world? Are we captive to the world? Has the world saved us? We belong to Christ, the one who is ascended in glory and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. What is the world to us? Jesus already stands sovereign over all things. All that would oppose his kingdom has already been placed in subjection under his feet. All of his enemies have been made his footstool. And so our gain is not like the gains that the world holds dear, more customers, more money, more earthly esteem, more popularity. These are things that are passing away. And that also means that we as Christians need to stop apologizing to the world for what we believe. We live in the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. We do not need the world's approval or favor to keep going. We do not need the world's riches. We do not need the world. We have Christ. Our king reigns eternally. And so all we need as Christians are the gifts of Christ. And having these things makes us rich in all the grace that leads to everlasting life. Yet, we often seem to be very concerned about publicly, public favor, public prestige, public approval. Yet, Jesus once again says, my kingdom is not of this world. The Christian church is to be a living testament of what Christ has done for the world. The church is to preach that Christ has died for sinners and has risen to bring life to the dead. The kingdom of God is a heavenly kingdom that is populated with forgiven sinners. And to prove this to us, what does Jesus do? He ascends into heaven. What a way to dash any false hopes of establishing an earthly throne. He does not let his disciples cling to any idea that he's going to go bust into Jerusalem and start a new kingdom for himself. No, here he truly demonstrates what type of kingdom he's building and what kind of kingdom he's establishing. It is the kingdom of heaven. 
We think to ourselves, oh, somewhat foolishly, that heaven and earth are so far apart. We think to ourselves that heaven and earth are separated by immeasurable fathoms and miles and distance of life that divides heaven and earth. But in Christ, heaven and earth are very close together. Christ is heaven come down to earth. Christ is God assuming our human flesh. Christ is God fulfilling all righteousness. He lives in perfect obedience to his Father. And when he suffers and dies, he does so on behalf of all humanity. The sins of every sinner are placed upon Christ Jesus our Lord. Those sins die with him. And now as he ascends into heaven, as the one who truly represents all humanity, we must not forget it is a man. Both God and man, but a man who stands before the Father. It is a man who has all authority over heaven and on earth placed upon him. It is a man who pleads on our behalf. And he stands as the ruler of all humanity, and he rules all humanity for your sake. How does he rule? Well, he rules by sending his Holy Spirit so that we might know him. That we might be called to life in his kingdom. And in that, heaven comes down to earth. When a child is washed in water and the word, there the Holy Spirit is at work, extending the kingdom of heaven. When Christians gather to eat and drink the Lord's Supper, there the Holy Spirit is doing the gathering and the building and the strengthening. Where the word is preached, there is the Spirit of God. The Spirit delivers Christ to us. And as the Spirit does this, it means that we need not travel to Jerusalem to be near our King Jesus. We do not have to travel halfway around the globe to participate in the gospel of Christ. Now, just as Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, he is also always with his church. He is bodily present in and with the bread and wine. As he says, this is my body, this is my blood. He's also with all of us who have been baptized because we have been made into members of his holy body. Jesus is in Terabella. He is in Houston. He's in Mexico City. He is in Nairobi. He is in Paris. He is in Novosibirsk. He is wherever Christians are gathered around the means of grace. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so when we think about the ascension of Christ, we're to remember that he rules over heaven and earth for the sake of his church. He sits at the right hand of his Father. He holds all authority over heaven and earth. And how does he rule how does he wield that all-powerful authority? He commands that the gospel be preached, that sins be forgiven, that the dead be brought to life in the waters of baptism, that faith would be nourished and fed in the Lord's Supper. He rules to make saints out of sinners so that we may follow him to be seated before the God of our Father, the glory of God our Father in heaven. Our dwelling place is with him. We actually sang about that in the beginning of our service, right? Our opening hymn was, On Christ's ascension, I now build the hope of mine ascension. This hope alone has always stilled all doubt and apprehension. For where the head is, there as well I know his members are to dwell when Christ shall come and call him. We remember that as Christ has ascended into heaven, our eternal dwelling place is with him. For now, we dwell with him by faith as he brings heaven down to earth for our sakes. Yet even now, we also have the assurance that we will be brought up to heaven with him. 
Jesus promises his disciples through the angels, or promises his disciples at the Last Supper. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me also. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And so as Jesus ascends, he sits at the right hand of the Father. He rules us in grace. He sends his spirit to create faith, but he also prepares a room for you. He promises that he will return and gather us to himself, that we may enter into his heavenly dominion. When the disciples saw Jesus ascend into heaven, they stood staring at heaven. They imagined that Jesus was now gone forever and distant from them. Maybe they were hoping that just like a balloon that you let go of floats up, eventually it'll come back down again. But Jesus sends his angels to proclaim, just immediately after he's taken from their sight. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will he, come, he will come in the same way as you saw him go up into heaven. Jesus will return. As they gazed up at, uh, at heaven, wondering if he was going to come back down, the answer is yes, he will. He will return. And so we don't need to worry about if or when Jesus will come back. We don't need to worry about if or how Jesus will establish his kingdom. He will come back. And he has established his kingdom. And he will rule over the kingdom that he has established through the preaching of his gospel. And so as we receive this gospel by faith, we also live in the hope that Christ will return so that we receive that gospel by sight. We have already been called into the kingdom of heaven. You are already participants in the kingdom of heaven. You already belong to the reign and the dominion and the eternal lordship of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have it, its blessings, its benefits, its promises. They are yours by faith. We are under the constant care of our heavenly king. We are sealed in the promises of the gospel through the waters of baptism. We are saved already, right now, today. And so cling to the gospel of Christ. We do not allow in the, anything in this world to separate us from this gospel of Christ. Do not allow yourself to be severed from these promises by the doubts or the cares or the pleasures of this world. But instead, lean into the wonderful promises of forgiveness, life, and salvation. We know that this is what makes us members of his kingdom. We know to where the gospel is proclaimed. There the king is. Whenever, wherever. So we know also then that the king is here. Jesus is here. Even as he ascended into heaven, he brings heaven down to earth for you. Rejoice in the presence of your godly and eternal king. In the name of Jesus, amen. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia and amen. We rise.